Good morning, church. It's a privilege to be with you this morning and get to open up God's word. And like Carl said, I'm probably a new face to many of you. We were here three years ago. And just thank you again for your support as a church. And if you get time after the service, please do come down and introduce yourself to us. Um, Please open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Uh, Carl just read that this morning. If you have a pew Bible, it is page 443, as that's where we're going to be spending our time here this morning in God's Word. And as you're doing that, let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts for His Word. Let's pray. Dear gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you so much for all that you're doing in this church. We thank you most of all, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he extends to us, sinners, Lord. And we thank you that you've given us your word, and we can know you. We can grow in you, and Lord, be changed and renewed. And so, Father, as we come to your word this morning, open our hearts to it, remove any distractions that we might focus upon what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 51, so sometimes we we like to go on holiday, that's what we call it in Scotland, vacation in, in Scotland, and we managed to find like an Airbnb um, with a little bit of room in it, because everything's pretty small over there, okay? Um, and my kids and I like to play sometimes a game of hide-and-seek. Anybody like a game of hide-and-seek once in a while with your kids, right? It's a lot of fun, okay? But it's usually a short game, because my younger kids have a hard time staying quiet, or you know, don't find a really great spot to hide, right? But even as an adult, when you play it, there's some satisfaction in finding that really good hiding spot, right? Where you think, no, none of my kids are going to find me. Right? But how do these games always end? I didn't see. We're going to get found eventually. Or I get too uncomfortable in the spot I'm at and I got to get out, right? But that's how it ends. Everyone gets found out at some point or another, don't they? And I think this is not unlike how we can treat our sin sometimes. We can try to hide it, we think nobody's going to see it. But eventually, our sins are going to be found out. And that's what happens to King David. This is exactly what we see. This psalm was written by David. He engaged in some pretty serious sin and attempted to hide it for as long as he could. And we get that story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and we're not going to turn there, but just real briefly to set this psalm up, Israel was out to war. King David stayed back. He was lounging around on the rooftop of his house and noticed a beautiful woman. This woman was Bathsheba. He was the wife of one of his officers, Uriah. He was sent, he sent to have this woman brought to him and he committed adultery with her and she got pregnant. So now he's in a right mess, isn't he? And so he tries to hide it. He invites Uriah back from war And he hopes that they're going to sleep together. And then he could just say, oh, that's Uriah's child. I didn't do anything. Well, that plan failed, didn't it? Remember the story? Uriah, he's a man of honor. He would not sleep with his wife while his soldiers were in battle. 
So then David arranges for Uriah to be killed on the front lines. Then he took Bathsheba as his wife and now would claim the baby as his own. See, then some months later, after the child is born, God sends Nathan the prophet to David, right? He tells him this story, and David's outraged, and he says, You are this man, King David. And you read there at the beginning of Psalm 51, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. King, you have committed adultery and murder. Your sins have been exposed. What now? And so the question before us this morning, what will our response be to being confronted with our sin? Will you try to hide it, as David did? Or maybe try to run from it? Or will you humble yourself and deal with it head on? And here in Psalm 51 is a really great example of what true biblical repentance looks like when we're confronted with our sin. A prayer, a song for us as a church, as individuals. And I think this is such a great reminder, right, in our daily battle with sin. It's a daily battle, is it not? And especially this morning, a good reminder is we gather around the table for communion. So I want to try to break this down in four parts to give us a little framework. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'll give them to you right at the beginning. Number one is turn to God. Secondly, confess your sin. Third, pray for cleansing. And fourthly, praise the Lord. Turn to God, confess your sin, pray for cleansing, and praise the Lord. So verses 1 and 2. We're going to read a few of these verses. I'm not going to go through every one individually, but let's read verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So here in the first two verses, David turns his attention to the Lord, right? And he asks God first for mercy, for grace. Now listen, those sins that David found himself in, adultery and murder, were punishable by death according to the law. The law David was supposed to live by, he was supposed to represent, to point people to as God's appointed king. He didn't deserve forgiveness, but David has walked with God long enough now to know God's characters. He's experienced it firsthand in his life. He's read it in his scriptures, and he knows that God is abundant in mercy and loving kindness and grace. And so what does he do? He throws himself, right, upon the only one who could pardon his sins and forgive, and that was his merciful God. He also asked God there to blot out, to wash, to cleanse him from his sin. And see, he uses words there, 
transgression, iniquity, and sin to describe his wrongdoings that needed forgiven. David's sins, I mean, just a few of them. When you go back and read, I mean, think about it. Discontentment, coveting, selfishness, pride, adultery, and murder, just to name a few, right? Essentially, David's saying here, God, I know I screwed up really bad. And I need your help. I'm, I need your mercy. So I think this is an appropriate first step when confronted with the guilt of our sin. Turning to God first, right? And praying to God and asking, God, extend to me mercy and grace and your loyal love. And listen, where else can we turn, church? When we're found in sin, where else can we turn? Where else will you find mercy, love, and compassion like the Lord's? Can you find it anywhere else in this world? No. You can't find it in anything to to medicate, drink, drugs, money. You can't even find it in friends or family, this type of mercy and love that we're talking about. But you will find it in Jesus. Amen? You will find it in Jesus. Because at the cross, mercy was on full display for the world to see. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together in Christ. Isn't that refreshing? His mercy. What greater mercy is there than for a holy God to die for wicked sinners? That's mercy, church. We deserve punishment and death, but God extends mercy through Jesus Christ. So we can know 100% that God is full of mercy and abounding in love because of what he did at Calvary. We, though our sins are many, his mercy is more. I'm not going to spoil it, but we're going to sing that together as a church. So turn to God first, who's full of mercy and compassion. Secondly, confess your sin. Verses 3 through 6 there. Let's read those. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We kind of see here, David's coming clean and making an honest confession of his sins. He's devastated by what he's done. He's feeling guilt and conviction, and he has to get it off his chest. Notice, notice there, he doesn't, Try to blame anyone else. Right? We do that all the time, don't we? When we sin. So-and-so made me do it. Notice he doesn't blame Satan. Oh, Satan just tempted me and I fell into it. He doesn't blame it on his circumstances, right? I was just stressed out at work. Or my kids were just doing my head in. Right? He doesn't blame it on... 
any of those things. He doesn't attempt to justify his sin in any way. He humbles himself. And he comes clean before God and he says, my sins are ever before me. I know my transgressions, Lord. And he says, God, you see them all. And I think this is so important that David recognizes, and we need to recognize that God sees our sin, right? So important, church. Because often I think when we sin, we only focus upon the horizontal, right, damage that we cause. Problems, the immediate earthly relationships maybe that are at stake. Or maybe it's a secret sin and we think, it's fine, it doesn't affect anyone, no one's going to know. But in David's case, right, obviously his sins affected a lot of people. He had a guy killed, right? Stole his wife. Had a child with her. He failed at that point as the leader of Israel as well. All of that left horizontal earthly damage, didn't it? All the things that, that David did. And we might say sorry when we, when we do those things to people we've wronged. And we should ask and seek forgiveness, right, from that person or reconciliation. But there's a bigger issue that people, people often forget or pass over and that your biggest offense is, is, is against God, right? We forget about that so much. David says, I've sinned against you, God. I have done evil in your sight. It's the vertical relationship that is most damaged when we sin. That's the one we need to be thinking about first. When we understand that God sees everything, I think it helps us, right, to to lay our cards on the table with the Lord. He sees it all already. Expose your sins, both public and private, because he sees it all. You cannot hide, right? No game of hide-and-seek is going to put that away where no one's going to see it. God sees it all. So I think if we admit first and foremost that we've sinned against the holy God, I think it helps us to take our sin a lot more seriously as well. And so that confession, okay, when we're conf- I think true confession is when we see sin for what it is. I might have heard this from somebody. See God for who he is and see us for who we are. When you take all those things, that's where true confession comes out. You see that my sin is an offense against God Almighty. And God is holy and just, and I'm a sinner, right? That keeps us humble. That keeps us knowing that our sins are ever before him, and we can confess them to God. And while God is full of mercy and compassion, in his confession there, David also acknowledges God is perfectly just should any judgment come upon him. You see that second half of verse 4 there? If God took David right then and there, he's perfectly just to do so. But in David's case, because of his sins, God was going to, if you go back and read, God's going to allow the nation to continue to be at war because of his sins. And also, he's going to take the child that was born from the adultery. There were serious consequences for his sins. Even though God is still going to forgive him completely. Now, 
I want to say that that doesn't mean, when you look at our lives, that doesn't mean that God is necessarily going to punish us for our sin, right? Even though he's perfectly just and right to do so. But you need to understand something, I think, church, that the effects of our sin, right, leave behind scars, pain, and suffering, right? They leave marks. Some could be short-lived, depending on the sin, or it could be something that we have to live with our entire lives. Look back at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and sin is ever before me. David knew that the sins he committed, the damage caused, would ever be before him. He lost a child, and he had someone he murdered. You don't think he's going to maybe remember that? When we sin, there are consequences. But even though we may have scars from past sins in this life, listen, we can have the comfort and the assurance that when we turn to God and we confess, God extends mercy and grace and love And we can walk in confidence knowing that in Christ, my sins are completely forgiven. Amen? What what a comfort when we sin. He casts them as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't see my sin anymore. Because of Jesus. And confessing, church, should be ongoing. Why? Because you're going to sin, right? Right? We're going to sin because you're a sinner by nature. I mean, he acknowledges it there in verse 5. That's what he's saying. Since you were born, from your very core, you are a sinner by nature. The ultimate problem isn't a specific sin in your life. I'm sure we all battle many things, right? Anger, maybe the love of money, gossip, lust. Drink, whatever it might be. It wasn't just lust and sexual desire that led David down this path of destruction. No, you have to realize first and foremost, this is a gospel truth, that you are a sinner. Right? We are sinners. And church, we can't stop talking about and confessing sin. It's important. Because there's people all over this nation all over this world, even in Cheyenne, I'm sure, walking into churches. Maybe you walked in this morning wanting to be told everything's okay. God loves you and he just wants you to be happy. And you came in wanting to be just affirmed and feel good. I'm glad you're here this morning. But a true church, a church like this, is a church that knows God and knows that they are sinners before a holy God. And understands the gospel, and we confront sin, and we confess sin, and we talk about it every day, every week, and we grieve it, we confess it. That's what it means to follow Christ. Christ, to recognize I'm a sinner, I'm not okay, I need help, I need Jesus. Right? I need a Savior. Every day is a good reminder. We cry out to God, we confess sin, and then we receive that assurance 
of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So David looks helplessly to the mercy of God. He confesses. Reminds me of 1 John, right? 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Which brings us to the third thing here. Pray for cleansing. Pray for cleansing. Verses 7 through 12 here. He, he prays to be cleansed. He prays for renewal. A clean state. Look at some of the words he uses through these verses. Verse 7. Purge me or purify me. It says wash me. Blot out. Verse 9. Clean. Renew. Restore. Uphold me. Verse 11 and 12. And we saw similar words there in verses 1 and 2, right? Blot out, wash me. David's saying this, this filthy, dirty sinner sees his desperate state before God and, and then asks to be clean. Clean me, wash me. Verse 7, to be purged with hyssop. I love this because it's a great picture. Hyssop was used to sprinkle sacrificial blood on the altar, represented removal of sin through the shedding of blood to be clean. You ever have a stain on your favorite shirt, right, that you can't get out? It's something like, you know, permanent marker or, you know, spaghetti sauce or something like that. Seems like no matter how many times you wash it or you treat it, it'll never come out. And then you get people telling you, oh, try soda water, try this and that, you know, and go on YouTube, find all the, you know, hacks to try to get it out. Nothing works still. Similarly, there is no remedy in this entire world that will fix your sin and make you clean before God except for the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing. That's why we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Such a great truth. We need cleansing and we need renewed. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What a fantastic prayer that is. Change me from the inside out, God. And that's an act only God can do. Only God can change hearts. And David didn't ask for an improved heart or fix his current heart. He asked to create in him a new one, a clean one. I mean, when somebody has heart disease, I mean, there's only so much patchwork they can do, right? And hoping they have a lot of time. No amount of stints or surgeries or bypasses can fix something that's broken and diseased. Sometimes you have to get a new one. just like here. But there's another heart condition that David mentions here in verse 17, all the way down. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He needs your heart to be broken. When our hearts are truly crushed, do we then realize our desperate need for a new one? And part of that brokenness means no more fake and empty worship and promises. Verse 16 there. See, in the Old Testament, God, he didn't want just animal sacrifices when they came to the altar. You know that? He wanted their hearts. 
doing these sacrifices over and over again, but there was no heart change in the people of Israel. He was getting, God was getting fed up with it, wasn't he? He doesn't want a long list of things you swear to never do again. He doesn't want empty promises and I'll try harder attitude. He wants a broken and contrite heart. That's what he wants. And a heart that's broken and then made new and clean in Jesus Christ is one that could be focused upon him now and then desires to obey his commands and live for him. And then that also means no more fake worship, a worship with wrong motivation. That's what David wanted, a heart that is focused upon the Lord. We come to him broken, asking God to be cleaned and renewed, and he will through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, David prays for God's anointing spirit to remain on him and that the joy of his salvation would be renewed and it would sustain him. You see that verse 11 and 12? Because listen, church, if we attempt any of this without the Spirit's help, we're going to fall on our face. We attempt to walk out of here without the Spirit's help, to be free of our sin, right? Without the Spirit, oh man, we're going to turn back to it so quickly. We need the Spirit, indwelling Spirit, to help us walk in righteousness with him. So ask God to cleanse and renew your heart. And finally, this should lead us to praise. Verse 13 and 15, also 18 and 19. Let me read 13 and 15. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David says that he will teach other sinners the way of the Lord to sing aloud his righteousness. What a testimony David is going to have to share with other people. Think about all the sins he's committed and now seeing God's mercy and grace overflow to him. And he wants to teach others about the salvation of their God, of his God. So following that confession of sin and repentance to turn away and then remembering our Savior and what he did, it should bring us to praise. Amen? It should bring us to praise. And then we want to tell other people about him. I remember the night God saved me in 2002, I think it was. And I, I remember feeling this crushing burden of sin, no escape, and then the truth of the gospel penetrated my heart. And as soon as I confessed and I turned to Christ, this massive weight was lifted. Massive burden. And I remember reading, riding my bike home that night full of praise. I didn't know what else to do. I was just so excited and happy. I didn't know why at the time, other than I knew Jesus has forgiven me. But that's enough, isn't it? To praise him. That Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God, very God, would come down, condescend to us 
and live the perfect life that I can't live and die the death that I deserved for my sin on the cross, his shed blood, for me? But then he rises from the grave in victory, crushing sin, crushing the head of Satan, and that hope of the resurrection to come. The gospel's amazing. Changed my life. And I want to tell other people about it. I want to praise him for that. And praise is a step I think we miss sometimes after we've confessed and made clean, especially in the depths of serious sin, right? Even, even after we turn to him. Because maybe we see the consequences of our sin and all the people we've hurt and wronged. But then we forget that, wait a minute, but I confess I got to know that God truly has forgiven me. And he sees my sin no more. And therefore, I should still praise him. That doesn't mean I necessarily have to be all smiles and look happy, right? If it's something really hard that I'm coming through. But in the spirit of renewed strength and humble repentance, we thank the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness that he extends. We praise him for the salvation that he accomplished on the cross. Then it frees us up to point others to Christ, doesn't it? And also to pray for them. Because at the end of the psalm here, verses 18 and 19, David prays for his city, Jerusalem, and and the restoration that will mean his people will return to the altar, hopefully with the right heart and right sacrifices. That's his prayer. Believers, I think we have a helpful prayer here in Psalm 51. Confessing sin this way, it's biblical. It's right here. And it will lead you also, I think, to a closer relationship with Christ. It'll keep us humble. It'll keep our sins exposed and force us to continually approach the throne of grace. So next time you sin, open your Bible here. Turn to God first. Confess your sin Openly, pray for cleansing and a clean heart. And don't forget to praise God for the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today, and you're a believer, and your heart has been hard to your sin. You've been trying to hide your transgressions just like David. I implore you today, come to Jesus, confess your sin. Or you're here today and you do not know yet Christ as Lord and Savior, but you're beginning to feel the weight of your sin just like I did all those years ago. Come to Jesus this morning. This message, this this psalm points us to the gospel. Because think about it. You might think, oh, I'm too bad. God, you can't possibly forgive me. Even the vilest offender, the murderer and the adulterer like David, right? can plead to God for mercy and receive grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you as we approach the table together, examine your heart, allow the spirit to search, convict, and that we remember the amazing grace and forgiveness that Christ secured to us by his sacrifice. And then let's leave this place praising God. Amen? Amen.